Who's that guy? My husband. Hey, John. Yeah. Hang on. You're my husband. Okay, well, I have something to tell you, honey. Well, regarding the task that we've been working on, could I have a word with you? I have your information. We're running late, guy. Maybe you text it. I'm not permitted to do that. I'm not allowed to write anything down. John doesn't allow you to? No. He likes my voice. Cool. You have a nice voice. You do. Thanks. I have to go. Okay. Just tell me. Okay. Uh, Asia. Yeah. Papa. Got it. 2 p.m. tomorrow. Asia Puppet fly fly away from her cage. We'll have most likely the red thing you need. Big dark beard man. Also there 2 p.m. for red thing. Got it. Okay. Also, Jujitsu Airport bro started checking Milwaukee flight passenger lists again. So, eyes out for Jujitsu. Got it, honey? Yeah. Thanks, honey. Safe trip. It's your bicycle bells and your Rembrandt swear. I feel like I should be trying to do some card tricks over here because I'm dealing with the anxiety of the fact that this is the last episode of... Season one of McMillan Men, the show where we talk about the Amazon Prime show, Patriot. I'm deadly serious. Luke sitting over there is a person who brings together the best elements of Big Dark Beard Man and Jiu-Jitsu Airport Bro. He is Andrew Walsh. Hello there. Hello, smooth-faced podcast man. (laughs) Named Luke Burbank. Hi. Um, Man, I said this at the end of the the, penultimate episode of season one, but it's a little bittersweet. Like, uh, you know, I'm I'm loving this show. That will come as no surprise to people who've been listening to these these podcasts. But I'm a, even just that music that you were that you were playing there. Uh, it's got me in my feelings. Yeah, you actually chose this from the show. This is uh, during the opening duck hunting scene, right? Scott Walker. Never heard of him. Uh, governor, I believe. Yes. <laughs> Notoriously pro-labor. <laughs> That's the one. Let's start this episode of McMillan by me mentioning that the tweet that I once sent out where Scott Walker was excited to have taken a picture with one of the, with the singer from, I believe it's the band Loverboy at the like Wisconsin state fair. And the irony is that I believe Loverboy, one of their most famous songs is everybody's working for the weekend. That is true. The whole point being five day a week work a day life is bad for many people in this Mm -hmm. country. And worse under Scott Walker, but he was there excited with those guys. Is, I'm going to miss these chats. Yeah, the <laughs> listeners won't, but we will. Well, listen, let's not. I mean, there is a whole other season. You and I are going to yes. take a little break, uh, right. probably a couple of months, and then we'll be back. Although yes. I did think it would be ironic if we said mm-hmm. we're going to come back and never did for a season. Well, two. or if our podcast about Patriot gets canceled one season, right. like the Patriot got two seasons, we get one season. Right. Someone starts a podcast about our podcast about Patriot, they get Get six episodes. Right. It just continues. It just, a matrushka. It's a shelf life. It's a Russian nesting doll of failed media attempts. Um, all right. This is episode 10, Deadly Serious Rick. Um, so the it opens on Lakeman and uh, saying good morning to Leslie. Leslie's at the fire. He is grumpy per, hmm. per use yeah. when Lakeman is in the picture. Resting Leslie face. Um, and then we, we get over to where Stephen Chu and Ali O'Donnell, his therapist, uh, are, are sort of 
discussing what Stephen should do when he gets back to civilization with this information that he feels he has remembered that he was pushed by John Lakeman. And it actually was in the in last week's episode where I forget the exact line. I had it written down and now I've deleted it. But uh, his therapist says something uh, to the effect of, you better make fucking sure you know what you're talking about. That would look really bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> In this scene, she doesn't say that. And it just seems like she's very concerned about his well-being and his reputation. And she's speaking to him like very like in a very straightforward way, but in a seemingly very caring way in this episode, in this scene that I really like. And she's just really wants to make sure that he knows what he's saying before he opens up this Pandora's box of accusations that, that John pushed him in front of a bus or a truck. But it really stood out to me last episode when they had the, the, the conversation prior, like you said, she said it would look really bad on me. And I feel like those are echoes of Tom there because Mm. that's what we're starting to see more and more in this show. And this is what I, as I kind of became the default defender of mm-hmm. Tom, sending his son out to do these missions, it makes sense when you really think that it's a worldwide threat to the safety of, mm-hmm. of the globe because of a, a nuclear-armed Iran. But when it's, hey, I did some things that I was supposed to do, and if you don't go kill this woman, John, I'm going to go, in j- go to jail, yeah. that's a very different mo- motive. Not to jump too far ahead, in the in the conversation but let's just say there is part of my notes in all caps that say you can fuck right off tom right. <laughs> which may be i'm not surprised which may be uh, connected to that very scene that you're talking about yeah, but I, you I, can I, see her kind of like now too yeah. like, seems like she's looking out for steven's best interest but then she says it would look really bad on me right well i mean that's the thing that I, i've said about her a bunch of times which is i don't feel like she's very emotionally regulated in that she's just always either negging Steven. So mm-hmm. she's either being kind of mean to him or being protective of him to somebody else. Like she just is, but she doesn't seem like she's kind of, she doesn't seem like she's very balanced. Uh, and so it's not a surprise that they kind of, they, they sort of divide this scene in the, in the marsh between the two of them. They divide it up between episodes and really between approaches that she takes with him. I think the writers like to write dialogue for tough nurses or for like <laughs> non-condescending nurses, right? Sure. Because we see um, Leslie in the hospital later with the morphine yeah. drip. And again, and he's kind of being a pain in the ass and he's being very condescending. But the nurse who comes in, she wants to do her job. It's her job to take care of patients and make sure they're in good hands. But she also is not taking his bullshit. Yeah, right? it's like, is it S? What's he keep saying? <laughs> SOP. Oh, yes. Yeah, I love that. Operating I love how yeah. even in his sort of like morphine Stupid. fog, yeah. he still has that Leslie Claret, uh-huh. very specific way of talking. Uh-huh. Let's, you know, let's keep, you know, let's keep people who are sober, sober. sober yes. Or whatever. Um, the, I love this. Also love this very quick moment between Lawrence and Lakeman about how many basically dead ducks <laughs> You need to turn a girl on and, and Lake. You know, I speak as a as a recently converted vegetarian here, an all around animal lover. I'm with Lakeman that the number is probably zero. Right. <laughs> the comic timing on that is great. I'm looking for the tape here. It's probably not worth me finding it. But uh, as as actually, can I just play this? Do yeah, you mind? please I, do. I think this is like a, a good example of just like a straight up good comedy writing. How many birds are the right amount to kill to turn a girl on? Depends on the girl, probably. Yeah. Probably none. Hmm. For most girls, I guess. Yeah. 
11, I think, with her. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think I might be willing to make the case that Lawrence is the is morally the most bankrupt person on the show. Maybe. Be like everyone else is doing stuff for a reason. Yeah, they might be, you know, they might have, they might be on the wrong team, as it were. But they they all everyone else has a sort of moral compass, mm-hmm. and Lawrence has no discernible moral compass. Like he just and and he he just seems to fuck everything. He has the you know diarrhea touch. He's running the company into the ground. He just cares about his own pleasure in any moment. And by the way, it's so perfect that when he comes back with the 11 ducks that he makes Lakeman kill, Mm -hmm. you know every duck that Lakeman kills kills Lakeman inside a little bit. But Lawrence doesn't care because Lawrence is just a complete and total empty vessel. And then I love that the, the, the woman that he's trying to impress... He says, uh, how many How many did you get? 11. And she goes, so anyway, my cat's being really weird. <laughs> my cat's been super tired lately. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, that's exactly what Lawrence deserves. And why did 11 ducks have to die in the process? <laughs> right. And also, cats sleep all the time. I right. love the background. I like to imagine the backstory of that, too. How is our cat sleeping more than usual? Another thing uh, that I love about this show uh, is the scene where Ichabod finds John in the woods. He's doing card tricks, uh, clearly trying to manage his anxiety. And Ichabod, you know, kind of... There's this moment where Ichabod says, uh, maybe we're both struggling with expectations. Mm -hmm. Because Ichabod levels with why why he's so... Why he gets so uh, annoyed at the, like, Headless Horseman references. Mm -hmm. Because it basically is... He is, like... Like a mushroom who once, uh, like a mushroom once said when he walked into a bar and they said, we don't serve your type. And he said, what? I'm a fun guy. <laughs> he did yeah. describe himself as being very lighthearted. That's right. so funny. Like, that's the thing is it's like the physical. But he says it in the most heavy hearted way. The physical appearance of Ichabod in his mind belies his real personality. Right. And so when people go with the, uh, the, when they read that book by the cover, it bums him out because he sees himself as I would say, probably a very sensual, mm-hmm. a very a lighthearted and fun person who's just yeah. trapped inside that look. Although we see no evidence of him having any kind of fun from the outside. Well, I guess I just mean that his like, the way that he's talking to John about... I actually come to believe that I don't think it is a sexual thing. Oh, yeah. I don't think so at See, all. See, at the beginning, I was like, he's calling it non-sexual cuddling, but I think he's just that weird. Oh, yeah. Slash plugged into... You know, he's talking about the, like, endorphins and serotonin, two things that are going to battle your depression. He's, uh-huh. And it's like, I am... You obviously, as the viewer, what you realize is that this is actually something John needs. Yes, it's absolutely. Very effective for John, and and it sounds like you. Well, well I was just going to say, that. and John has shown that he's game for almost anything. John is in a place where he's like he's legitimately listening to the HR guys' suggestions. Yes. He's literally trying to do card tricks yes. in the woods. Yes, while. A life or death mission is yeah. going sideways in so many different ways, but he's still sticking with the card tricks because no matter who gives him a suggestion, he's willing to tease that out if yes. he gets a little bit of just a little bit of lightness from it, a little bit of something taking the burden off his shoulders. What I love about this show is that when Ichabod and John are kind of in their embrace and Lawrence walks up. Every other show, they're going to go, oh, they're going right. to pull apart. It's going to be like, nothing happened here. Right, right. Nobody comments on, the, I mean, that's Lauren not true. says. He, yeah, what does he say? He says, 
oh, okay. Or something right. along the lines it's of just, that. I just love it's not played it's not played for some sort of Oh, you know how weird that two guys are hugging. Uh-huh. They're not like that's not that's not the that's not the the, the direction in the scene. There's They're no just, gay panic. It's just it, yeah, I mean exactly. Lawrence is taken aback. Sure. He's kind of like oh right all right. That's but right. I guess really I'm thinking that John and Ichabod don't immediately pull apart. Yeah. Like, oh, we've been yeah. caught. This isn't what it looks like. I just love that that's not where that scene went. Yep. Because it's just more interesting to me that way. Exactly. In fact, I really like the... In fact, like they don't even shift their attention at right. all until Lawrence finally says something to him. And then John acknowledges him with his eyes but doesn't move a muscle and they, they remain embraced. I, John needs this. If not, if not as much as more than Ichabod. Um, when Lakeman shoots Leslie. I have this written down. Partial smile alert. Yes. Where's the bell? <laughs> ding, ding. Like, you can tell that's cathartic. Yep. <laughs> yep. He shoots him. He says, hi, Leslie. Yeah. And he gets a little <laughs> smile on his face. I which love is, it. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you root for this guy to have any brief moment of, of, of even moderate happiness. Don't you think it's it's so hard for me to figure out John's emotions when he's hurting people because mm. certain people, it just, it kills him to hurt them. Yeah. But with Stephen, for some reason, Stephen has just become the, the yeah. um, kind of object of his frustration. Yeah. So he seems to actually enjoy effing with Stephen. Yeah. It's weird. And I'm going to, I'll give the show credit because it, in a way, makes John a bit of an anti hero mm-hmm. because he doesn't have this like code. You could see a world in which he has to hurt people, but he has this strong moral code where it's mm. only people who deserve it. But he seems to take great joy in just fucking with Steven, including – I, of course, I've watched season one already. I was aghast again when he pushes Steven into the truck for the second time. I remembered that. The thing that I, that I was aghast about that I had completely forgotten about was when um, Rob – Hangs himself a few episodes. Right. That, I can't believe I had forgotten about that scene because that was arresting to me. I... I remembered this this second killing or the second attempt very well, so I knew it was coming. Um, and you are you. How much of season two did you watch? By the way, I want to say two episodes. Okay, maybe. cool. I'm excited for. I, I guess I'll just keep on saying this, not to get us off track, but I'm excited for season two because you know I, we're seeing them lay the seeds for some things that happen in season two, and I am legitimately. Conf- I guess I'm jumping to the end of the episode now, but I'm so confused about a lot of stuff that mm. happens in season two. So I'm excited to kind of rewatch it again and see if it makes sense to me the second time. Um, Lakeman shoots Leslie. Leslie is not going on the trip, obviously. And now it's going to be Lakeman. I thought it was kind of interesting. His non-response to getting that news from Lawrence, you know, Lawrence says you're back on the team. Mm-hmm. And not only does he not, you know, go great. I won't let you down. He, if I remember right, literally says nothing. He says nothing. I think he's just like he's wrapping up his tent or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, screen. I guess that what that just speaks to probably, you know, he he feels that he has to do this out of a sense of duty to his dad and to the country, but he doesn't want to go back to Luxembourg. And he doesn't even know yet that he's supposed to kill the physicist's wife. Like, he doesn't even know how much he doesn't want to go to Luxembourg. In, in the good old days, at the beginning of the season, he would have said, cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he's he's moved into sub cool now. He can't even muster a cool. He's just he's so destroyed at this point. Um, but um, to go back for a second, the fact that they have to shoot Leslie in the face to get him into Luxembourg. Um, 
Wait, I'm sorry. I'm getting confused here. I, I think it's later when the HR guy steps in and says, no, I don't care that Leslie can't go to Luxembourg. Right. He can't go because he doesn't have his... Well, um, and they're standing in the restroom, yeah. and Lawrence is telling some joke. Like, if you stand on a piano and you look both ways... It doesn't matter or whatever. It's like the end of some weird joke. Is that or, what that was? I didn't get that line. I took it oh. to be either a joke or a bromide of some okay. so, of some sort, but the kind that they sometimes work into TV shows where you didn't hear the beginning of it, uh-huh. so you don't really know what the what the thing was. But yeah, no, that's um, uh, that's that lets leads us to the scene that was basically the audio that, that opened the show today. Right. So John ends up getting his paperwork at the very, very last minute. It gets corrected by his little, usually incompetent FBI helper or CIA helper or whatever. Ron. Um, but the thing is, and again, I'm not here to pick apart the show. It's clearly living in its own universe. But you would just think that if I'm running a company and the HR guy says there's a paperwork issue with the main guy that I need to secure the future of this company, you would say, guess what, John? You're a consultant on this trip. <laughs> you, you, are, you now work for um, John Lakeman LLC, and we, we can drop some paper. Like, there are so many like, ways a business can get around bringing somebody on and I speak, a trip. Uh, from experience on this because, of course, I identified heavily. I consider myself sure shot. A sort yeah. of a sure shot esque yeah. character as they start for some reason referring I to John that. in that moment, which I love. I love uh, the uh, the actor who plays Gregory, whose name, by the way, Gregory's the HR guy. Yeah, exactly. Guy. Yeah, his uh, let's see, I have it actually written down here. His name is Antoine McKay. He's sure shot doesn't work here anymore. Uh-huh. I love that he just like immediately integrates sure shot into the way we're talking about. Immediately. Lakeland. Nobody, nobody pauses. But I'm with you that like there probably is a way to get around it. If you're Lawrence and you really need him there. That being said, I think this is Gregory finally, finally putting his foot down. He has done yeah. everything he can. He is, he has worked this from the professional HR angle. You know, he's been putting the human and human resources a lot as it refers to Lakeman. But now he has officially reached a point where if if Lakeman's not going to help himself, Gregory and HR can no longer carry him. Yeah. And so this is just these are the rules. Um, And and so, you know, they end up obviously with the scene where his his uh, assistant, I guess, if you will. Is running the uh, paperwork to him. I mean, of course, you know, just is it sure shot that they're calling him? uh, I think I, I wrote down sure shot. That's another Beastie Boys reference. Oh, I'm just getting that. Where's the bell? We're sharing a bell today. Nice, yes. Um, But yeah, of course, the Beastie Boys have a song called "Sure Shot," and of course, Cool Rick obsessed with the Beastie Boys and dresses like the Beastie Boys. And next (laughs) season, they'll use the. Oh. Is that the song that they use for the? I can't I remember. It, is, uh, do they use, sure, is, is they Susan, use a Beastie Boys? Is it Sure Shot for, or Sabotage? I, oh, I don't remember. Oh, look, my, you have your brought my too. own bell. Oh, my By the way, God. driving up here today, I know this isn't the kind of mm-hmm. show we're doing, but I was driving along Interstate Five between Portland and Seattle, and on the side of the road was I don't know what had happened. It didn't look like a car accident, but there was a few guys standing around on the side of the freeway. One of them was in a full red tracksuit matching, <laughs> and I was like, "Cool." Red. I didn't yell that. <laughs> Did I just you? thought it in my mind. It is Sure Shot, by the way. Next season's uh, song is Sure Shot by the Beastie I'm sure Boys. that's not an accident. Of course. I Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I didn't put it together either, together. so there yeah. you go. Yeah, um, yeah so, so that scene is kind of uh, that scene is kind of great and agonizing, and what I love about it is the look on the face of Ron when the van pulls away, mm-hmm. because it's clear that it's sort of like... You know, Ron and Dennis McLaren are kind of on the same wavelength. They're in John's orbit. They are both very much define themselves 
by if they've done a good job yep. for John or not. And you can see the look on his face of the of of Ron being like, I kind of did. I kind of yeah. nailed that. All right, I kind of nailed that. And he's so excited when he, he stops their van by pulling yeah. his little like yeah. tiny little what is that car like a little escort or something yeah. like he zips in front of him and yeah. like hand brakes a, a tailspin to stop the van and he just comes. Did you see that, John? My legs are like rubber. I wasn't even yeah. trained how to do that. I love it. I mean, again, he's a very despicable character, but you kind of gotta love him in these scenes a little bit. I think or he's like him. somebody that a lot of us have worked with where. I, I wouldn't even say he's despicable. I would say he's just somebody who kind of – I don't know how – he just – he doesn't know when – he doesn't know which rules to enforce and not enforce right. in his professional life. So it's like even John's like, how's the chair? <laughs> chair? Working on it. Right, it's right, like, right. It's like there are certain things this guy, you know, just where he draws the line about like bringing shampoo – buying shampoo with his own money. It's just like really you got to be – like that much of a stickler for right. some of these things, right? Or he didn't even have to, yeah. Or it, he didn't even have to tell John any of that. He did end up bringing his own shampoo, right? Well, and it was like the wrong kind. It but. was. Oh, he brought his own supply, and it was Prell, which right. Sean was already wearing. But then it was also the part, the time where Ron was like really insistent on that he was right about something. This is earlier on in the season, some kind of thing that you know. John was having a horrible time over there, and when he gets back, all Ron wants to do is be like, but it was the way I said it was, uh-huh. right? Like, I right. forget what, but it, it was, was, the, it was the, the Barros brothers. It was the Barros brothers, right? exactly. You know, but, the they, that they but, knew. but it was jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. It's very big in Brazil yeah. or whatever. It's like, yeah. okay. He's so proud of himself. Right, and that's the kind of, like, the, those, are, those are the annoying kind of people to work with. Um, so, uh, Lakeman's now on his way to Luxembourg. Alice calls um, Ed Tavner calls him Eddie, by the way. I think that's the first time, maybe maybe at some point, Thomas called him Eddie. But I, I didn't even know who she was talking to at first, because mm-hmm. you never think of him as an Eddie. No. You think of him as Cool Rick. Right. But uh, but she's basically asking John's brother, uh, does John kill people? So this was, we were talking about this last episode, the question of like how upset is Alice, or how troubled is she when she finds that paperwork in a Getz hotel room, murder charges. And, uh, and you had said she's pretty upset. And this scene, I think, really... Uh, indicates that yeah you know she's like this is a real this is a real tectonic shift mm-hmm. for her about how she thinks about the kind of work that her husband does yeah and how she's regarding tom i think she's giving yeah. tom a lot of the benefit of the doubt but we started to see the doubt creep in several episodes ago when she's she's having a conversation with tom where she's losing faith in his ability to keep john safe and it's kind of punctuated with the old video footage of tom teaching a young john how to ride a bike and right. he says i got you when he yeah. doesn't have him at all and, yeah and that kind of now, now every conversation she's having about tom like uh cool rick slash edward says no d- dad would never ask john to do that and she's yeah. like he wouldn't yeah, and then he says, "We'll talk to him. He'll tell you that it's okay." And she goes, "He will tell me it's yeah, okay." Yeah. So, so obviously, she's realizing that Tom is not a reliable, uh, you know, sort of narrator on these matters. Um, Which then I think kind of foreshadows and also kind of underscores the scene we're going to see in the hotel room later when we, the audience, are getting really frustrated at Tom for being yes. kind of an asshole dad. Yeah. Uh, so then you've got this kind of. Um, you know, convergence of all these different forces in Luxembourg. John knew me, the puppeteer slash glassblower, mm-hmm. uh, the physicist's wife, 
Kaiman Kandahar, a.k.a. Big Dark Beard Man, <laughs> uh, a Jiu-Jitsu brother, a Barros brother. They're all kind of converging around this bag. And then Mikan Kandahar's body floats to the surface of the river. Now, this is something that I hadn't realized, but, you know, I have to give John credit. In the last episode, I think he does pretty well in the interview with Aget. And then in this one, you're kind of like, oh, wow, impressive. When you slipped that note into... Uh, this guy's pocket before mm-hmm. you, you know, after you garroted him and before you pushed him over the side of the boat. That was a now I get it. That was a genius bit. I didn't get it. I was going to ask you. I was like, how did that get in there? I I didn't. Do we see him slip that note in there? Or we you know, just this now could be Mandela effect. Okay, I feel like I remember him doing it. This but is why my, it's good to talk about but these my, things. But my brain could also have constructed a, a frame that didn't, you know. But either way, that's clearly what he did. Because I was like, wait, why did why did the bag man, I just call him the bag man. Yeah. Why did the bag man have the note with John's handwriting? And my brain was doing a little bit of, it just couldn't um, reverse engineer that. But of course he did it because John was playing three-dimensional chess. Or he was just he, playing chess and he was playing several moves ahead. He, and, and again, this is the second episode in a row where I've actually been genuinely kind of impressed with mm-hmm. something he did because it really throws the investigation into turmoil. Yeah, momentarily. Yeah. And then this is, you know, the whole thing with Aget where it's like the whether Lakeman is real is and whether Aget's daughter hallucinated Lakeman or really saw him in my mind becomes a referendum on Aget's mother mothering skills well in my mind with for herself i know we're jumping all over the place but let's just go to the very near the very very end of the show she's apparently talking to her daughter on the phone saying you're gonna be staying with your aunt i'm going somewhere we don't know where and she says look after your sister has she had two kids this whole time and we're just learning that now oh man uh, I didn't even pick that part up. She's on the phone, yeah. presumably to her daughter, saying, I mean, who else could she be talking to when she says, I'm talking to, um, you know, you're staying with your aunt, I'm going somewhere, I'll be back. I think she says in two weeks, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And then she says, take care of your sister, which if, I feel like I must, I mean, I rewound it, like, she definitely said that, um, and I'm trying to figure out if I'm forgetting something in season two, but I'm, right now, just where we are as viewers, I wonder if we're supposed to think, oh my god, she's got two daughters, and while it looks like sometimes she's a really good mom to one of them, Tom was almost impressed with her as a cop, right. because she was right. an absentee mother yeah. in some ways, and yeah. he's like, oh, must be a good cop, not a great mom. Yeah. Um, and now, is she even a worse mom than we thought? Boy, I don't know, I totally missed that. Um, but but I think that the, the sort of question of if if the man in the sad man in the suit is real or not, I feel like, you know, Aget is really she's not willing to let go of that because she believes her daughter. Uh-huh. And I think she believes her daughter because if her daughter is believable, that indicates a lot about both her daughter, about their relationship, about her parenting. It becomes it's like she won't let go. And as a viewer, because I want John to skate, you know, scotch, uh, scotch free. I want. I'm keep being like everyone's telling Aget to just drop the Lakeman component, and I'm in my mind. I'm like, drop the Lakeman yeah. component, and she kind of won't. 
But don't you think in the bathtub scene when she's you know bathing her daughter and she's having this conversation, one she, of her daughters, actually, yeah, maybe she's actually come around and she's trying to get her daughter to admit because she says you know she says no, murder is not like shoes and she's giving her one more shot and she it sounds like she's leading the daughter to say yes it was just in my mind and the daughter says no it wasn't in my mind and then she shows her the photo of the bag man and the daughter says no that's not him and brings the CD that damn CD by the way I wrote yeah. down the track listing. Of the songs. Oh, really? Just for fun. Um, let's see here. The tracks include Diamond Dust, Supercell, I Don't Want to Be Found, Fortunate, and Can't Wait for May. Those are the tracks. Are any of those the ones that the puppeteer mentions when he meets her in the Um I think, oh, phooey, now I can't remember the specific song that she references. I think she sings Afternoon Spray to him, and then she references a different song that she wants to use. And she quotes, he says, why do you like that one? And she quotes the lyrics, and it's something like, nothing moves in a straight line. Terrence Howard. It's about, that's right. And open the flower of life. But also A to B, to right. and fro. Well, of course, and that's, a, there's, uh, I have this in my notes somewhere, but it's like, you know, somebody else is having problems with the, the structural dynamics of flow that just keeps coming back in every episode. Um, well, okay, so... Um, let me see here. I'm just going to... I know we're a little bit out of order. Do you mind, since I since I brought it up, can I just like kind of read you this dialogue? Because I know she's speaking in French, but just to make sure that... Okay, this is, this is again her daughter? Yeah, this is... She's on the phone. She's at the train station. She says, be good. I'll see you in two weeks. Behave for your aunt. Take care of your sister. Whoa. So unless she's talking to somebody and I'm being misled, it sounds like she's talking to her little girl. Huh. That's weird. That's one of those. It's like uh, John not knowing who Dick Cheney is. <laughs> it's like a weird little thing that, I mean, unless you've seen all of season two. So unless that comes back somewhere. I don't think so. But my brain is also really bad. It's just like some little odd moment. Again, this is why we've got to get Stephen Conrad on the show yeah. at some point and, uh, and, and get kind of his explanation for some of these little dazzling deets. Um, yeah, that. Uh, that Timmons and Saperstein album is really the undoing of John in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing I would say about your your question of is, I get, d- does it get believe her daughter or not believe her daughter in that bathtub scene? One, I think that scene exists for a clever piece of writing about why we remember things that are mm-hmm. unusual, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, you you think about the the man in the suit because he's unusual. You don't think about your shoes because your shoes are not unusual. Uh-huh. And like murder and talking about that, I thought that was a well written scene. I get the feeling, though, that she is just trying to double. I my sense of that scene is Aget is about to go hard again back into the Lakeman. Like Aget's spidey sense says it was not Kandahar. That's not mm. the guy my daughter saw. And my feeling is she wants to get one last confirmation from her daughter before she goes back in and says, "I'm not dropping the Lakeman component." Mm. And um. That's what I. That's how I uh, kind of interpret that scene with the kid in the bathtub. Mm. Yeah, I still interpret it differently. I think that she was finally. So I think that there was something nagging her as an investigator that she mm-hmm. still there was something about the Lakeman thing that she couldn't drop. But then as she was having the um, bathtub scene, I just sort of felt like she just kind of was concluding like. It was in your mind. It felt like she was walking her. It felt like she was finally ready to admit that one last piece. But her daughter stood firm and said, no, it wasn't. Well, like, you know, it's so, kind of funny. Know. Well, and then when her daughter goes and gets the CD, it's like, forget it. That's mm-hmm. I mean, it's the guy who she's yeah. been suspecting. And her yeah. daughter just pointed him out on a CD. That's like, yeah, that's about as 
that's about as much confirmation as you can get. It's kind of funny because now to jump to the extreme end of the episode, it's like she was about to, let's just say she was about to write off Lakeman. And the daughter's like, here he is. Lakeman was about to let her leave on the train. Yeah. And then the call comes in about Rick's yeah. kidnapping. So in both, there's like these kind of parallel things of like a moment is about to go one way. And then there's just when you least expect it, a little something changes and and now we're going in a totally different direction. Yeah. One thing I want to go back to, although I'm, I'm sure it's on your list, but it did happen earlier in the episode than where we are now. But obviously things jump around a lot. But the, I mean, we this whole you know series we've been talking about John, just like how much can he take? When is he finally going to break? And we saw so far his biggest breaking moment when his dad tells him that he has to kill the physicist's wife and then yeah. uh, American Pie comes Ugh. on and then it's like it's, it starts getting more and more um, reverby. Yeah, it basically starts to sound the way that it sounded in that episode when he was being tortured with it. Because he was in a metal cage. I mean that and he you just see him like sit there yeah. and start to lose his mind. Well, you know, he said something to his dad in that scene that I like it doesn't even seem like a Lake Mini thing, which he said, oh, good, I'll get to rest for a day in Luxembourg. Oh, did he say that? I yeah, remember which that. it's like weird because he gives so little thought to his own well-being, yeah. or at least he he's so he's so bad at self-care. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's what the show is about, a guy who's bad at self-care. Yeah, yeah. Um, that when he said something like, you know, his dad said, you'll get into Luxembourg the day before the, you got to get the bag. And he goes, good, I'll be able to rest. Mm. That's like the only time I can remember him ever saying something like, like that. Like taking a little R&R. Yeah. And then the dad's like, you're going to kill the physicist's wife. Yeah. And cue American Pie. Yeah. And oh, my God. That's such a tough scene. It's man. really tough. It's really. I also feel like. Only Lakeman would continue sitting in the cafe where they're playing American Pie. Yeah. I feel like anybody else would be like so triggered by it. They would literally start crying and run out mm-hmm. of the place. Lakeman just turns inward and starts mm-hmm. just holding himself. And it's just, yeah, it's really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the physicist's wife, boy, she's really, um, let's just say she's come out of her shell. She's really taken to the culture. She's really loving, living La Vida Loca in Luxembourg. Yes. First, she reveals her face. Yeah. Uh, she's sitting in a park and she takes off her hijab. Is that what that? I think I that might know. be a burqa. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. that I think it depends on how much face is being covered. I yeah. think I think she is at that point full burqa when it's only her eyes. Isn't it amazing how, I mean, the show makes you feel a sense of relief. She's also the person. There's something sensual, not in the sexy way, but just sensual, the kind of pure definition of that when she dips her feet in the water uh-huh. there's something very sensual about the way she is kind of emerging from yeah. her cloak sort of first with her feet touching the water i thought they did an amazing job of making you feel like oh i know that feeling that mm-hmm. first time you take your shoes off in the summertime and it touches some water that's a little bit too cold and then her taking um her burka off and and just smiling there's something just so um I don't know, as as the audience, you just like kind of take a deep breath with yeah. her, sort of. And of course she's smiling at Lakeman. Yes. And, like, and then who's there but fucking Lakeman. Of, of all the of all the gin joints. Yeah. Um, and, and then of course then she gets into some <laughs> she's moved past Disney. Unless that's a Disney movie I haven't seen. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the she's new She's watching some adult content in the yes. hotel room. And it's pretty funny because she's got every piece of furniture from the hotel room. Piled up against the door. Oh, I didn't know. Did you catch that, that no, frame? I didn't. I yeah, she's love dragged that. all the chairs and the tables, everything that's like not too heavy to basically <laughs> block up the door of her hotel room, lest you know the Aloxa Brigade or whomever just come busting through the door. Well, let's close the things that close. Indeed, and let's pile things up against <laughs> yeah. the things that we want to keep closed. 
Um, so yeah, so she's um, so she's again very much becoming, which which kind of plays into this. Look, I don't know. This is this is how do I put this without it sounding kind of uh, Islamophobic. It would be easier for me to write off her death if she were a more anonymous character. She's becoming less anonymous yeah. by the moment. She's a person with hopes and dreams. Yeah. And and so, you know, I'm very like when John goes to the, the window or he goes outside her hotel and she's in there watching her films, watching her stories. I'm really hoping that John decides that this is not something he wants mm-hmm. to do because I am very much empathizing with her, a person who's had very limited access to culture and making her own decisions, it would appear. Yeah, um, and I, that's the story of the show, right? With everybody. Right. Like, everybody has more going on. And, right. So then, of course, I, I, I really feel like John, at that point, decides... It's better that I die than she die. Uh-huh. Is that am I? Is that over? Is that overstating the, I think the he point? Was, he was supposed to kill her that night, and he couldn't do it, and so he gets on this black bicycle and just drives into traffic. And he's I mean, to... yeah, I don't even think he's trying to get. I don't think he's trying to get injured. I think he is fine mm. with dying yeah. in that moment. Don't you I think? think? Yeah, I mean, think that's he wants a out. It's a suicide yeah. attempt, yeah. if you will. And and then of course his curse is that he can get hit by a car, and literally nothing is wrong with him. Right. Oh, but but before that. Um, there is a pivotal scene in the scene that gives this episode its name, which is where uh, Edward finally wants to try to understand what really goes on for John. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I mean, this just has to do with John just being emotionally spent. I don't think John has, at that point, the bandwidth to try to manage somebody else's experience any longer. And so he just basically... Uh, you know, I mean, that's a harsh scene to watch mm-hmm. because he's like, you know, I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like Edward is like, you know, D- do you have to kill people for, for dad or do you have to kill people for your job? And he goes, I got to kill a woman at three o'clock tonight. You want to help. You want to help. And it's just like, that's just this moment where it's like, you realize how much John has been kind of protecting Edward from the reality of what his life is. Mm-hmm. And he just gets tired of doing it, probably because he feels like he's doing all this on his own and probably because he just feels like frustrated with his life in general. And so in a small way, he's sort of taking it out on Edward in that moment. It yeah. Would seem. Cause he says, and, and he says, you want to help? And Edward says, of course not. And he says, well then what good are you or yeah. what, no, what help are you or something like that, which is a really, really cutting thing to say, maybe what are you good for or something? Uh, Some yeah. version of those three. And it is devastating. It's such a devastating to both thing. of them. Yeah. Cause, cause I mean to, to Edward, he's like, well, I've already, I've done so much. Edward, you know, must feel like, what do you mean? What help am I? Or what good am I? But on the other hand, how does John feel? They're both this, they're both sons of the same man. Why is John the guy who has to go around killing women at 3 AM? Right. And, 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 uh, hotelier, accidentally or whatever yeah well then and of course then the thing is you can you know the impact on john because he's got to go play a song yeah and he starts it by saying this is a song about someone i killed and i'm thinking oh well it's going to be about you know kandahar who he threw in the river Mm -hmm. and no it's cool rick yeah cool rick is dead he killed cool rick and now he he turned him into um super serious serious rick Rick. and that's deadly serious deadly serious rick Yeah. yeah yeah so that's a really really hard scene um and a really sad scene. And so you, you get this. You, I mean, there is something about we were just talking about what is what is John's moral code. It's still a little unclear, but clearly killing the physicist's wife feels like a bridge too far to him. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there is the he starts to sort of there's a moment where he actually pushes back on Tom when Tom basically describes it as, well, they have to find someone else to come get the bag because the, the physicist is on the no fly list. 
And John goes, so we're just stalling? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to fucking murder a, mm-hmm. murder an in, a, well, not innocent. I'm going to murder someone to buy us a week? Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, that's really where this episode feels like it's going between Edward and John of just both of them getting kind of fed up with Tom's bullshit. And Alice. And Alice. It's, this mm-hmm. is where everybody is starting to really realize how how much Tom is manipulating all of them. Um, sometimes for a good cause, sometimes not. Yeah, and again, that all comes to the head in the hotel room when he's saying, John, they say you're okay, go take care of this task. I think go, he's go in a hospital bag. room, by What did I say? Hotel room? Oh, hospital, sorry, yeah. He's in the hospital all, you know, having been hit by a car, and Edward's like, lay down. Yes. Like, you just what got does hit he by say? a car. He goes, what time is it right now? Because, you know, because um, Tom is obsessed with... Is there still time to go get the bag? And he goes, right. like, what time is it? And Edward goes, it's lay the fuck down time. Exactly. I mean, which don't I you love Edward yes. in this scene? Let me just play a yeah, little will bit you? of it. Because yeah. this is a really, this is a very. Finally, somebody is standing up to this bullshit. Yes. And then we're seeing Tom being more and more consumed by, he's not able to smooth things out a little bit. He doesn't seem at all kind of. He doesn't seem considerate at all about his son. He's only seeing his son as a tool. And. Again, it's, he doesn't say we have to do this for the sake of uh, international peace. He's saying we have to do this so that I can stay out of jail. And you know what else? We'll probably hear this depending on how much of this dialogue you play. But he does this really shitty thing where he goes like, we got in over our heads and we're – and it's like we didn't. Yeah. You yeah. did, motherfucker. You, you did. You did. Let's take a listen. Let Tom can fuck right <laughs> off. Hey, I got to that part of the hey. script. Hey. Hey. How are you? The doctors couldn't find anything wrong. I mean, you took a hell of a wallop, but uh, they said there were no... Nothing's broken, nothing's... Yeah, I'm okay. Mm, No, no, you're not all right. What time is it? It's lay down, that's what fucking time it is. (laughs) It's 1.35. I'm okay. Next time you ask me what time it is, I'm going to just say it's lay lay down. down. Are you really unhurt? Because the girl gets out in 25 minutes with the bag. Just... Lay down, just lay there. So you're saying you're okay. Are you okay? Because you didn't do the thing that you were instructed to do last night. Which is, of course, and kill, be the, waiting kill the wife. And waiting at the Bedbourne train station for that bag. You can take it before then. I can't do it. Why can't you do it? He can't do it. You know what? Fuck you. John. I'm often told not to do something which I am then expected to do anyway. I was told not to do this, this task of ours. I was prohibited. And I'm expected to anyway. So if this gets exposed, then, well, son, I'm exposed. What I'm saying, John, this came unraveled quickly. And and, and we dug in a little too deep. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. If it doesn't get right back on track, then I could go to jail. And that's when John decides to sit yeah. up and lurch himself out of bed. And it's like, yeah. Tom, do five to seven. You're yeah. sending your concussed traffic accidented. I don't. I know that's not how that word sure. works. You're sending your pulverized son, pulverized mentally and physically, mm-hmm. out to try to kill someone, to try to buy yourself a couple weeks, to try to figure out how to fix this thing. It's like, it's got to end somewhere. You fucked up. Mm-hmm. This is, is how I feel watching yeah. this scene. It's like, just go do the time. If that's what happens, that's what happens. Like, you messed this up. And also, why can't Edward go get the bag? 
Sorry, why right. can't Tom go get the or, or even Edward at that point? Well, either well, first of all, that is a really good question. Why can't either one of them? Although, without giving anything away, there is a scene um, involving Tom and his vulnerabilities in season two. Yes, I am dying. Oh, do you know this? I know I'm this. Dying to I'm, talk about that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and maybe that's maybe that was somewhere buried in my subconscious of my kind of like having a sort of you know, looking askance at Tom mm-hmm. a lot of the time because mm-hmm. I, I think I know the scene you're referencing. Mm-hmm. And, and and this is just something that <clears throat> kind of builds to that is like, well, I can't go do it. Right. And it's like, really? You can't go you can't go steal the bag back from a puppeteer? Right. Which we've established is right. probably easier than a glass blower. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's to go back to that scene, that really, really painful scene with um, American Pie playing. And he says you have to kill the, the physicist's wife. It's funny how that starts with that scene starts almost as one of the show's more lighthearted scenes. Because he thinks it's a glass blower. Exactly. And they go back and forth with that great Patriot dialogue about, well, what are the similarities and differences between a puppeteer and a glass blower? And then it kind of becomes it actually becomes kind of, I think, a meta state about like having to deal with the trials and tribulations of life and tough jobs and facing the fire and everything and break on you if you're a glass blower. But um, uh, as a matter of fact, shit. Now that I'm saying that, it is sort of feels like that is that is that the statement of that scene that like Tom is kind of saying we are kind of like the glass blowers here, like we are facing heat and everything can shatter on us as opposed to just like living in this little fantasy world yes. that maybe you want to live in as a folk musician, mm-hmm. but don't do that. Oh, that. Yes. You know, I know where I mean? you're going. When That's we fine. learn when, 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 when we're all over the place, but when John is meeting up or when he meets up with the, we're actually pretty much there plot wise yeah. because he leaves the hospital bed and now he's going to find the bag, which means mm-hmm. he takes out, uh, big dark beard man. Yes, uh, we don't really know how that happens, right? We just know it happens. Yeah, we don't. It says oh, it's a weird direct just kind of decision. It says two minutes later, and we all of a sudden see his from his kind of concussed. It's perspective. such an effective filmmaking technique. Mm-hmm. The way they shoot John's perspective, yeah. and it's very uh, upsetting. Yeah, you know, he's got this tunnel vision from his concussion. It's just he's so <laughs> disconnected from. He's so shut off from. Almost all of the world at that point, at least his field of vision is so mm-hmm. limited. His movement is limited. He's just like limping along towards this finish line. You know, he hits the Barrows brother with the gumball machine. And yeah, the scene between him and Numi is pretty great mm-hmm. really you were getting uh, you were getting excited about the part about why he didn't become a musician yeah she calls him a musician he says i'm not a musician and she's and she of, of course, course has his cd as she, a musician you'd think you'd have a more laid-back lifestyle right, she says to right. him, and he says no i didn't become a musician because my dad said that it's not a good life it's a hard life you gotta it's sleep just, in you vans sleep in vans instead his dad puts him on a course to have to sleep and stay awake for uh months on end in a cage yeah. Oh my God. I don't listen. The listeners know where I stand. Ray, Colin, Tom Tavner. Yeah. But um. Yeah. That was quite frustrating. This is definitely the episode where the writers just decide like we are going to like because I feel like we get different perspectives mm-hmm. on different characters and like this is like the opposite of of us when birdbaths humanity is revealed. Yes. This is the opposite where, you know, you've had frustrations with Tom, but it's been a complicated thing. And this is the episode where everybody, including the viewers like fuck Tom. Yeah. Right. So, uh, um, they, but this is just not important for plot reasons, but 
I love the distraction that Dennis McLaren creates. <laughs> now, this is Stephen <laughs> Conrad's that will real brother. for plot Stephen Conrad's real brother. Uh huh. Who he, I don't know if whose idea if it was Dennis's idea if it was Stephen's. You know, we were. Uh, I guess we didn't even get into this when we interviewed John Hodgman on our other show, but he wore a nudity belt for a scene. I'm now oh, pretty right, familiar yeah. with those. Uh, Dennis ain't wearing one no, in this scene. No, this, no, is, no. this is happening. And <laughs> I just love the line from Dennis standing there buck naked. Uh, I think I should file a report to whomever. Yeah. And, you know, while, here, while I'm here, I'll take care of some parking tickets. Yeah. They t- and also, he's such a bad liar. He says, uh, uh, I got mugged. They took everything. Left my glasses. Like, clearly, he kept his glasses right. because he wanted to see. Yeah. I love how he much Dennis's. Yes, Dennis's uh, sort of his crown of glory, as we would say, growing up in the church, is is his his glory is really in his physical body. Yeah, all. like that's what he goes for. Create a distraction. Well, I'll just be nude. Yeah, what I have one I have one thing, and it's yeah. my physicality. It's like that guy that's allergic to shirts at the concert. It's like it's right. always the guy who's really <laughs> right. fit. You yeah. don't ever see. Well, that's not true. In this day and age, you do see some guys that yeah. aren't so fit. But it seems like it runs. It tends to be coincidentally someone who also has a pretty rockin' body. The McConaughey rule. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is also, of course, a huge. We're now moving into a huge pivot in the show's whole direction and how we perceive one of the main characters. Because Numi has not taken the money because she just wanted the bag because she needed it for, I think, mm-hmm. a sunset scene. Yep. And can you remind me of something? Yeah. Wasn't there, I literally am not sure if I dreamed this, <gasps> but wasn't there a scene earlier, like an episode or two ago, where somebody says, Oh, yeah, I knew a puppeteer and they were collecting things all the time for their yes. set? Yes. Who, it wasn't, I forget who said okay, it, but, but it was somebody, said. Okay. You did good. not hallucinate that, okay, my friend. Good. good. Um, the antipsychotic meds are oh, fantastic-ish. Um, I'm not here right now, by the way. I did have a dream. This the is the other worst night. version of Fight Club <laughs> yeah. ever. You've imagined me. That would be something. What if all of a sudden I, I take my meds and I go back and I listen to all these podcasts and it's just been me the whole time? Oh, that would be great. <laughs> that would be. No. I wonder about that sometimes. If we can just take this to a very druggy sounding uh-huh. place, it's amazing to me that our brains are able to make up dialogue in our dreams. Or is uh-huh. it making up dialogue? Or are we just sensing emotionally? Uh-huh. Like, like, are we really writing? Like, are the people that are talking to us in our dreams, are they doing full dialogue? Right, right. I mean, we can't know. I had a dream the other night. Uh, this is about, I don't know, four days after we were back from our recent tour. And I had the most literal dream in the world, which was <laughs> you and I were packing our crates full of radio equipment after a gig and we had to rush through it because somebody sent like some act was coming on after us and they were being and they were kind of like that may have happened that may space. not have been exactly. a dream that was just, just kinda like my god your your dreams are no escape when they're just like literal recreations <laughs> of something you just went through um so this you know the the money is is at the police station and john goes back to try to get it and uh it's gone and it has been a note has been left by a get that just says look you stop looking for me, and I'll stop looking for you. And this is so huge because Aget has been the picture of law and order. She has been the you know the person trying to you know solve the crime, and 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 basically she's been the rules enforcer. And here, and it, there's like nothing to indicate that this is going to happen, right? Like there's there was nothing else about like were you the if you can remember back to the first time you saw this, were you shocked? At that note from a get, because I think I was. Yes. And here's the thing. And I'm just going to be honest about this. And I hope 
that I'm wrong or I'm just too dumb. But as we now kind of foreshadow looking at season two is I remember having a feeling in season two that I never got a satisfying answer for what her end game is. And if that and I'm hoping that's on me because I cannot what do you mean her end game? Well, I mean, it's still the money, right? I, like the money's on unac- those. What is her? She says I she we hear her tell her kid, presumably I'm I, I'm going away for two weeks. What is she doing for? Well, two weeks here's, with a bag of money. Well, this is what I think. It's it's what is it? Ten million euro. So it's like you could live the rest of your life on it. I think she, it's, it's unaccounted for. It's never been cataloged. Nobody mm-hmm. knew it was what was in that red bag. Mm-hmm. And she's going to hide it somewhere. Mm. So that she can then come get her daughter and then she or can daughters or daughters and go, or, you know what I mean? Like she, what's, what's so surprising to me about it is she's so good at her job. She seems to take her job so seriously there other than just the awful male police officers in the Luxembourg police department who seem mm-hmm. really annoying and sexist pigs. She doesn't seem to dislike her job. She seems to take it very seriously. Or her life. Or what her is she life. trying to escape? I don't know. That's why it came so out of the blue. Yeah. The fact that she just, like, upon seeing that money was like, okay, new plan. Mm-hmm. Steal all this money. Mm-hmm. So you think she's going she's gonna to leave somewhere? For, it just seems so specific to not have a clear answer. And again, this could be my bad. This could be, number one, my misunderstanding of what the events that happened in season two. More likely it could have to do with my ill memory of things that I've seen in season two that I've forgotten. But why the two week? Why the specificity of two weeks? Why mm-hmm. not take it? Where are you going to hide the money? Are you going to like go dig it under a dig a hole under a tree like the Shawshank? It truly yeah. was. Uh, I meant to play that drop the other day on the show. Shawshank Redemption. Um, no, more likely she just needs to somehow. Surely get this. was a sure shot redemption. <laughs> there we go. You know, she's just got to like kind of get this money, maybe launder it, do something. But like, there's something very specific about her getting on a train to leave town. He makes a point of that, and in us knowing that it's going. To to be a two-week trip. There's hmm. something just very specific about that other than I'm going to put this in some offshore account. Sure, but I mean, I think we can agree that she literally didn't know this money existed mm-hmm. until she walked in and saw it stacked. I forget how Numi describes it, but it's pretty funny. She's something to the effect of like, I stacked it jauntily by yes, a lion yes. or something. Like she uses a funny term for I the way she that. stacked it. And like what we, well, I think what we casually. can, some, yeah, maybe casually was the word. But I think we can all agree that Aget did not know this money existed until the moment that she laid eyes on it. Because again, that bag was never cataloged. She knew that this bag was something. She knew that it was moving around and that the Barrows brothers or Kandahar or John were involved. She knew that it had gone to the work dinner with John. She gets it that the bag is significant, but I don't know if she knows there's money in it. She walks into her office. There's 10 million euro, which she, I think, figures out pretty quickly is not on anyone's radar, at least not anybody with the police force. And so I think what we can know is that she didn't have a plan. She didn't have a plan three days earlier about what she was going to do with this money if she got her hands on it. She, whatever plan she's doing, mm-hmm. she cooked that up in literally the five seconds after she saw the money. Yeah, so maybe she doesn't know exactly what she's right. doing right now. Is your but argument. I think she she's sees it like, as a chance to remake her life, which, again, is weird because she doesn't seem to dislike remaking? her life. Yeah. But, I mean, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Because, again, just not to... Maybe we're going to learn a lot more about her private life if she has a second daughter that we're just about to yes. learn about or something like that. And again, embarrassing that I should know this having also watched the second season. Uh, this is where that structural dynamics of flow makes its obligatory appearance. Well, it must appear at once in each episode. Uh, I, John is, I believe, 
is he explaining to Aget basically the structural dynamics of flow about her trying to get the cash out of yeah, Luxembourg? It, come, it comes <laughs> like, up a couple of times. Trying to get it from point A to point B. He says you're going to find it's a much it's a it's what does he say? It's a road with more twists and turns than you think. Something or like or, that, or more. Uh, yeah. So she gets on the and but then of course it's like this other thing is going on too, where she's saying to him she is selling a very seductive message to him, which is like basically this all goes away. Like, and I don't think it's just Luxembourg and the death of uh, whichever Barrow's brother it was. It's this being your life, this spy world where you have to, they, people are mad at you because you haven't killed physicist's wife at three in the morning. Like, I think she is basically, the, what John is interpreting her message to be is not only will he not be pursued over this murder in Luxembourg, but he can just, this can, not, this can be not his life anymore. But I don't, I don't think that, that she can promise that. I think right. you're right that she thinks she's promising well, that, but that, no, no, that, that, that is divorced from his reality. He's still, it's a family affair. Sure, but I think in his mind, I don't even think that she's trying to promise that. All she yeah. has control of is Luxembourg. But I think that what it stirs in John's brain mm-hmm. is a vision of his life no longer being involved in this. Yes, I agree. That that's definitely what he's hearing, but I don't think there's reality there. Well, and that's I think that's why he decides to let her go because he just has had enough. He just mm-hmm. wants this to stop being his reality. Mm-hmm. And when she leaves on the train, it will or at least the part about Luxembourg will and then maybe he can figure the rest out later. It's just like he's that's his he's retiring from the game when he mm-hmm. lets her get on the train and then of course as I've already mentioned he gets a call. Yes, somebody has abducted Edward, and so Tom calls him and says, "You got to get that money now because we need that money to get Edward back." So now suddenly they need the money for their own purposes. I'd be such a bad <clears throat> spy because I would just have been like, "Oh, sorry, the train just left." I mean, I know he loves his brother, not yeah. that he wants his brother to die. There would have been so many points where, like, if you if I was unsupervised and there was the hard way to do something and the easy way, I would always do the easy way. And then if if my dad slash my direct supervisor of spy of spyiness mm-hmm. was like, why didn't you get the thing? I'd be like, I was crazy. He had a ninja star and he <laughs> threw it at me and I ducked and it killed the guy behind me. And it was a whole thing. This is like, so he's operating so unsupervised. I would just never do that. I'd just be like, I mean, again, peace and love to my brother and all that. But I'd be like, yeah, sorry, the train just left. Yeah. <laughs> like, but that's, I'm not. I, I just don't I'm not um, wired the way that Lakeman's character is wired. It's kind of funny. So now if I understand the ending correctly as I'm thinking about it, Tom wants the money back so that they can give it to the Barrows brothers. I'm assuming it's the Barrows brothers who abducted uh, or maybe not who abducted I don't rem- I legitimately okay. don't remember anymore who because it was. Because originally it was we got to get this hand we got to get this money in the hands of the opposition. Right. But then it was, oh, we put it in the hands of the candidate we don't want to win, Cantor mm-hmm. Wally. Now we just, it seems like this sh- shift has gone from getting in the hands of the of Cantor Wally's opponent, and now it's just like, we just got to make sure Cantor Wally doesn't get it. Like, is, is Tom's plan actually just to return this money back to the U.S. government anyway? Good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's what he's worried about. He, what he's worried about being in trouble for is... Uh, whatever that would be, twelve million dollars U.S. or something mm-hmm. that he was told not to use for this project. And of course, we know that he's being there's a you know again there's no season three yet I guess mm-hmm. so there's there's definitely going to be some questions uh, left hanging. But we do know that at some point Tom gets deposed, right? Like something somehow the the higher ups learn about this. Like things can't go that great. I have to give the show total credit because. 
I even though I was watching this last night and I had just recorded a radio show and it was you know a busy day yesterday, it was all I could do to not hit next. Yeah, and watch yeah. the next episode because man, they got you hanging on a cliff. I know. As as John sort of gets that call and looks up at a get as the door to that train is about to close, it is. It is a really uh, kind of compelling, mysterious moment. Which is, and that's one thing that we, we'll, we'll talk about this off air when we're going to come back with this. But I was thinking kind of similar thoughts as the show closed when I was watching it, thinking like we should not wait too long to come back with our next season because I'm afraid that things are going to get, my memory is things get way more complicated in season two. And I don't want to lose the, mm-hmm. I don't want to lose the momentum, but I also don't want to lose the memories of what happened in this, in this first season, as I want to do, as I've admitted a million times today. So we got to kind of like, you can end up sure watching that, this whole series 33 right, times. Exactly. Cause I don't, I don't want to have to rewatch season one in order to remember or figure out what's going on in season two. Yeah. Well, I, I'm no, I'm, I'm into this and I think mm. we'll, we'll be back uh, sooner rather than later with, uh, with season two which I'm really starting to feel ever more confident. I said this in the last episode. I don't know. I have my spidey sense, which is always wrong, mm-hmm. says <laughs> I have Cool Rick's spidey mm-hmm. sense. Well, the my, problem is you haven't been bitten by a spider, and I've off, offered to yeah. put you in my spider chamber, and you keep saying no. I feel like my ability to predict what will happen with anything in the world, including this television <laughs> series, is about as effective as Dennis's attempt to explain his herpetic sore yes. with a, through a video of unexpected Heimlich yeah. uh, uh, situations. Oh, the guy with herpes is going to yeah. save me. So I, I, but I don't know. I, I wonder if, and I hope that there will be a season three of this. I think I, I can, in the words of Mike Tyson singing Phil Collins in the movie, The Hangover, I can feel it calling in the air tonight <laughs> how's that for an ending it's not how I, again another twist that's not right how i expected that's right this season to end i think that reference was double great <laughs> so keep it that way everybody we'll see you soon with season two of mcmillan men there's a man who leads a life of danger one he meets, he stays a stranger With every move he makes Another chance he takes Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow Secret agent man Secret agent man They've given you a number